Welcome to the second Brooks on Business podcast. Today, we have Michelle hey. Weaver and Brittany Brooks with us, and we're here to talk with you about what we've learned over the last couple of years working with real estate agents in here in Jacksonville, Florida, and across the country. And the conversation is, why in the world do so many real estate agents fail out of the industry? And to start us off, Michelle Weaver, what give us the synopsis, the big picture of why you see so many agents come into this business and they fail? Yeah, I know from the conversations that I have with agents, especially the ones that are just getting started, is they have no direction. They've passed their course and they just have no idea what to do next from deciding on a brokerage, they don't know the questions to ask to find the support. And they haven't really thought about their business model. All they know is I wanna help people and I wanna sell houses. And that's great, but there's no plan behind it for them to even know who's gonna be the right fit for them. So just total lack of direction. Mm, interesting, Brittany, what do you think? I have two major thoughts. So the first thing that I think about is you know, maybe for the first time ever, someone is on their own as their own business owner. And mm -hmm. they're like paralyzed as in what are even my first steps today? Right. And so it goes along with what Michelle is saying of, you know, not really knowing where to start, um, you know, a plan in place, they have no idea what to do. And now they're solely responsible with the support of their brokerage for their business. And the second thing I think I see is people and agents not realizing how much work it's going to take to create a successful business and serve customers at a high level. Um, and so it's, it's just coming to terms with, oh, wow, you know, this does require a lot of effort, a lot of diligence, a lot of consistency and habits that they may never have had to do before. And then lacking that sometimes mm -hmm. a team to keep them accountable and a leader. Totally agree. I think that a lot of the real estate agents that come in absolutely miscalculate how much effort and energy it's going to take to get a small business off of the ground. And secondly, to Michelle's point, they don't run the financial model either when they're, you know, they're just excited, right? When they come in, they're excited. They just go to maybe the first conversation that they have, or maybe they have a friend at a, at a specific company that they want to bandwagon with because they've heard good things and there's nothing wrong with that. But the statistics show 87% of real estate agents fail within the two to five year time frame. They don't even renew their real estate license. Mm -hmm. And what that is telling me is that they're either misinformed when they get in, they don't perform when they get in, or the brokerage is not providing them what they actually need to succeed um, and, and figure it out. I think it's all of that. I mean, think about how many people that we talk to where the first thing you say is, okay, you know, do you have three to six months to sustain yourself if you don't make money? And so it's like the foundational steps of not even realizing how much it's, how much they're going to, it's going to take and how much time it may take just to pay their bills. And can they sustain whatever previous bills and debt they have previously? And this is for any small business owner in general, it doesn't have to be in real estate. It's okay. I'm creating this do I have a foundation to stand on to then give myself the risk tolerance to move forward with something else? Yeah, that's interesting. And I remember when we got into business, we, I mean, we didn't have any money when we came into the real estate business, we had nothing. We were in a new city with no money, about $80,000 worth of debt. And you said, John, I give you six months to <laughs> figure out how to make money and I'll cover the bills until then. But after that, you're on your own. And I had to perform. There was no option but to perform or else I would have to go back and get that W-2 and sit in the office and, you know, be miserable. <laughs> so the pain of that was enough to, to get us going. And there was an actual plan there because you were my backstop. You were my backstop. So it wasn't like there wasn't any plan, even though there was no money, there was a plan. Michelle, did you have any kind of plan when you were getting into real estate? Yeah, John. So one of the first conversations when I was making my transition over to real estate I had was with you. And I remember very clearly one of the very first questions you asked me was, what do you plan to do for lead generation? And that wasn't what I had thought about. And that wasn't even what I was planning <laughs> on coming to talk to you about. And I remember sitting there and it just completely shifting my mindset and me realizing I have to think about this a little bit differently because to your point, I had no option. I was making a choice to leave 
a full-time salaried position to jump into real estate full-time. And I knew that I wanted to be able to keep my then one-year-old in daycare. So if I was going to be able to do that, not having a plan wasn't an option. And so I really, I left that meeting thinking, I need to know how I'm going to lead generate and where is my first real customer going to come from? Because I can't wait six months for this to happen. Yeah. And I think a lot of people miss that conversation. Real estate is lead generation. Actually, every small business, you have to generate leads at the beginning or else they won't go anywhere. And so I think a lot of people are confused about what this business actually is and what it means. Do, would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. You can ask yourself, okay, first stay on the job. Where are your customers going to come from? Yep. Yeah. So it's funny because when we, we have a lot of agents call us that want to reach out to join Momentum, and the first question that I ask them is, what's your top three lead generation sources? Mm -hmm. And they're like, I don't, what do you mean? I said, where do you source your business from? And they're like, I've never had a conversation about that. And I said, you've been at a big box brokerage for two years and you've never talked about lead generation, the only conversation that matters. Uh, they're like, no, they really just, you know, we, but we have pretty marketing. We have, we have business cards. Our websites look pretty decent, but they don't actually know how to go out there and have conversations with people that'll make a difference and actually lead to a closed sale. Nor, here's one thing that I've noticed that I think is different is none of the big box brokerages actually teach you how to provide service and define what service means. Brittany, you're, you're lighting up over here. So talk to us what's on your mind. I, the first thing I, I, the first thing I questioned when he said that is, well, have they even done it themselves? Mm. Are they in a management role or have they actually been in the field to effectively have quality and high level service that they can then teach and guide on? have they actually done it? Or are they just put in a management position because they've had success managing others before? But do they know the tactics? Do they, do they have mm -hmm. that experience? Michelle, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. You know, having that relevant experience is so important. You know, I want to be, this market is changing so quickly and I want to be learning from somebody who is still immersed in it on a day-to-day -day basis. And as I'm teaching other agents, I want to be able to give them that relevant information that's still up to date and is going to help them to see success quickly. Yeah. You can't teach what you don't know. And I mean, just recently, we've had conversations with mega agents, eight, 10, $12 million in sales per year that reach out and say, you know, I know how to sell real estate. I don't know how to invest. And no one else in my company is investing. They're just on this treadmill and they keep working. And I don't want to live like that. I want to graduate to the next level. And they're actively reaching out and saying, I know all the momentum agents are buying rentals and investing and figuring out, you know, what's the next step for them. And real estate is a stepping stone. Can, can I come over? Oh, go ahead, Britt. Yeah. I was going to add to that of, Hey, I'm selling all this real estate. I want to invest. The other side of it is, Hey, I'm selling all this real estate. I'm not making a lot of money. What's going on. Oh. Right. So like looking at the business <laughs> model of like, you know, are you actually running a successful business? What is your definition of success? And then is anybody saying, well, what does your PL look like? Are you efficient? Like, are you actually making money, but you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off, you know, but do you actually have a business? Yeah. So most that brokers, is, they have money to invest. Right. And most brokerages don't care if you make money at all because they make mm -hmm. all their money on the fat splits that they take from you up front. So they get you to two to $3 million of production. They take their chunk of it and they could care less what you do for the rest of your year in terms of production. So they have no reason to reinvest in you to continue to grow, or they don't know how to invest themselves because they've never made money themselves. They've never been a mega agent. They've never actually climbed the ladder. They are a salaried employee that was hired to be a leader of an organization that has recruiting numbers, which incentivizes them to take absolutely any human being with a license and a pulse, into, into the organization yeah. and that destroys the culture. And I, we get calls from brokerages that are falling apart, just saying like, I need to get out of here. Um, and we have these conversations with them. And the one conversation I even just had today said, I've been at this company for nine years. I never sat down and look at my financials and oh my gosh, they took over 40% of all of my money 
for nine years and he did the math. He's like, if I had invested that and it just got stupid, he's like, I'm going to review my numbers every single year at least because he said he didn't realize how much the junk fees were. There's a, this fee, there's that fee, there's the annual fee, there's the monthly. It was, it all adds up to be a huge amount of the total pay chunk. And we can actually break this down into different categories of agents. And so that's the conversation today because we're going to be releasing an article on this where you can follow up and, and read more here. You know, you're going to hear from us today, but Michelle, I would love for you to, to launch us off, we're talking about the zero to $2 million producers, um, which is generally in our market, zero to eight units. And, and this is referred to yeah. as the, the new agents, the low producers and the part-timers are generally in this bucket. And I'm just gonna put this out here. I know that this conversation is controversial and taboo. We know, we get it. Um, we, we don't like talking about our money, but, I can tell you this, our mission is to help agents find financial peace through real estate. And we cannot get there unless we have these hard conversations. And you don't need to agree with everything, but this data is good. And we've proven it with our experience in the past. So take what you may, and we look to create a conversation with you. So with that in mind, Michelle, talk to us about that zero to $2 million bucket in sales for, for that subsegment. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone starting out had to make their first 2 million in sales in real estate, right? And how quickly you do that is going to be very, very important for how you feel for the remainder of your year or the months to come after you hit that $2 million mark. Um, because when you're working from that first zero to 2 million, and we talk about, especially for the larger split, the money is being taken up front. What you're bringing home is such a small percentage that no matter what a great agent you might be, and you may be coming from the best place of giving for your customers, there is a level of desperation when it comes down to your financial situation. You In real estate, nothing is guaranteed. And when you're in that zero to $2 million bucket, and I'm saying this for myself from when I was hitting my first 2 million, you can't afford for things to go wrong. And so that's when emotions come into play. And we know to be able to be a problem solver and stay proactive throughout the, the transaction and getting to the closing, we've got to take our emotions out of it because there's enough emotions for the buyer and the seller. They are the ones who matter. But if I'm not sure if I can pay my mortgage, if this, this doesn't close, you're going to see a very different version of me than the one who knows. Hey, we're good. I've actually hit my goal for the year and we're, I'm doing this because I love it and I love my people and I want to pour into them. So it's just a scary place to be. That's from the financial side of things. There's also the piece of it. If that's what we're doing year over year, you start looking at the level of experience and exposure that you're seeing from each transaction. And that's another piece that's scary because every time you get yourself into a situation, it's going to feel new and it's going to feel challenging. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the right support system behind you, things can get ugly really, really fast. And not just for you, but everyone involved. Yeah, the consumer suffers because they don't produce enough to have experience. Yep. Britt? Well, they may, they may suffer. I think what we're getting at is where is that battle between my judgment calls for my own well-being and my judgment calls for the customer's well-being? And am I getting into mind tricks because I know that if I don't pay my bill this month, this is going to happen? But if they don't get their house, what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. And and so it's, you know, those biases come into play of, am I really making a clear decision that is completely um, not based in my own personal needs? Is yep. it 100% yeah. focused on the customer? And you want, you get in with the intention of it being that way, but are you having mind tricks played on you? You know, are you really doing 100% true intentions? Yeah, it's commission breath. And I, we see it everywhere. And they're just like, I just need to close the deal or they get it under contract and then they totally disappear and leave the, the customer you know, hanging. We've seen that happen, um, unfortunately, mm -hmm. too widespread, which is scary. So here's the thing about this production bucket. So this is from research that I did a year ago. And the data comes from a source called Broker Metrics. This data is just aggregated by this company that taught that has all the data on real estate agents and their production. It's not perfect. So I just want to hedge that here. 
there's data, you know, not all the new sales get to go into this, everything. It's not absolutely perfect, but it gives us a clue of what's going on in the market. Here's this bucket, the zero to $2 million producer. That is 68, 69% of all real estate agents in Northeast Florida. Almost 70% wow. of all real estate agents produce less than $2 million which I don't know about you, even at 3% commission splits, which most aren't, there's no way you can possibly live on that after you consider the broker splits, the licensing costs, the taxes, the self-employment taxes that you have to pay, health insurance for yourself. Mm -hmm. In your case, you had to pay for, you know, uh, what was it? Daycare um, yep. and things like that. Other costs that you didn't think about. It's absolutely, you, you cannot make money in this bucket, but 70% of agents are there. Now, here's what's interesting. 48% of those agents produce zero. Wow. Zero. So they're hanging their licenses and paying fees, but they actually don't do anything, which is really, really interesting. So, uh, any more comments on that level of production, the zero to two million? And again, we're bringing this up, guys, just to start a conversation about where agents are because the, the industry needs to change. And what we're observing is that a lot of transactions that go wrong, a lot of them and are in this bucket, the zero to $2 million bucket. Um, and this is just a conversation. If you're looking to get into this business and not take it seriously, remember, this is the customer's largest financial transaction of their life generally that you need to manage. And it requires a level of duty and care and responsibility. And, th and this is the bucket that typically we see the most problems in, the most lawsuits in, um, and gives the real estate agent the bad name. And part of that reason is because the standards to get into the industry are so low. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I got my license in four days um, and I did everything online. Yep. Would you guys, Same. what do you think about that? Is that, is that, is that why there's this bucket of 70% of, of agents roughly? I think that's part of it, but I also think that people see being a real estate agent as a lifestyle and they see this like glamorous mm. idea of what it is. And so that's what even gets them interested in getting in in the first place. And then, you know, the barrier of entry for real estate, especially considering how large of transactions we're handling is very low in comparison. I don't know any other field that you've got the potential to make the kind of money that we can make with such a small amount of requirement from an education standpoint. Yep. I think you see two different, two different sides of what we're going to call the newbies, low producers and part-timers in this category. So we all know the frustrations having worked opposite sides of the, the newbie agent, right? And there are the, I'm going to put them in two cohorts. There's the newbie agents that are the part-timers. They have part-time jobs. They don't pick up their phone. They don't know what they're doing because they're not dedicated to building their skill. But we can't knock the newbie agents. We've all been there, right? We were all yep. a zero producer. And there was a sense of, of a different level of dedication and skill building and curiosity mm -hmm. to give that duty and care to the customer where we are researching and we're asking questions and you're, you know, you're taking it to that next level. So I don't want to say that all the newbies are in this frustrating category it's those part-timers that have part-time jobs that are not 100% focused in on this and actually creating a career that cause the frustrations. And so that's where I see the biggest problem is the people that don't bet on themselves, don't have a backup plan, don't have the foundation set to then be able to go in full-time, build the skill, not have a part-time job and be distracted. Because we've all been at that zero level. We all started at zero. And there's the differentiator between the people who made it out of that $2 million level and the people who stayed in it. Yeah, it's, well, their, it's their level of commitment, I would say, because there's a lot of part-time agents out there that are honestly better than some of the full-time mm -hmm. agents, but they just care about the customer experience. And the, the, most of the issues I see is the people in the lower bucket don't care about the customer experience. They just care about how do I make my next check so I can pay the bills? And that's basically it. 
Right. And I would say for anyone who is that zero, they're just starting out. This isn't meant to be discouraging. This is meant to say that make sure you have the right support system in place. You need to have those people that are going to be with you 100% of the way for at minimum those first 10 transactions. And I'm not just talking about your broker. I'm talking about other people who are working in the field that can be there to support you and help push you outside of that. Cause we've seen it done a million times over. We've got some phenomenal agents that started at zero just earlier this year. So mm, that's such a good point. Yeah. Some of my favorite agents came Absolutely. in as brand new agents. And so what we did at Momentum Realty is we created a program because we recognize that the next top producers will come from that cohort. And we want to be able to figure out whose mindset is going to fit with, with our brand and who's going to have our core values that we can bring in and support them on their journey so they can have success. And so we created this program called the mentorship program, which um, I'll just briefly describe is ultimately you get to go underneath a, a an agent that's producing four million dollars plus in volume and they support you on everything that you do in the business to close your first 10 transactions and that also ensures that the consumer has a great experience because you have somebody who's an automatic phone call away or a text away to answer your questions um, and in return the mentor earns an, an, an income opportunity of about 20 percent of the transaction that goes to them for being available for them and mentoring them through and the mentor also gets leverage. So it's a it's an ultimate win-win. Mm -hmm. And some of our favorite agents have come through this program, but it's different from other brokerages because they have to interview and prove to us that they deserve to be yeah. part of the mentorship program versus every other brokerage that I'm aware of. Um, there's, there's a few that have production standards, um, but for the most part, they have zero standards and they don't interview. They just want to get them on their roster so they can get monthly fees from them. And if they close one or two, they get a huge commission check, you know, where they're taking 30, 40% of, of the commission dollar. So it makes sense to take on somebody who sells one home a year. Right. Yep. And I've, oh, go ahead, Brett. Oh, I was going to say, this is kind of leading into the next category cohort of the agent, but like it all begs the question as we speak to all agents at all brokerages and these newbies is, you know, this main question that comes is, so who are you surrounding yourself with and who is in your leadership that you're creating that plan to get you out of eight to 10 a year, right? Yep. So as soon as possible, as soon as possible, like it shouldn't be okay. How do I get my first deal? It's like, okay, you're going to do this. Here's the plan, but here's the plan to get you past that, right? Not just survive in that zero to 10 transactions a year, but like we said, the people who have surpassed it, had the foundation set in place, we're in the right conversations, we're in the right room, and we're being challenged to say, you can do this. And then what is our next step going to look like once you do it? Yep. Ooh, that's it. such a good thing. Survive. I feel like that's the name of this cohort here is like this, because <laughs> that's how I felt when I did my first 2 million. I was like, I'm in survival mode. Like I have no choice but to succeed. But unfortunately, no, not many get to the next level from the data that we're looking at, which is, which is bizarre. Um, mm -hmm. because we're in one of the hottest markets ever with the most sales ever, and people are not figuring it out. 70% of people are not figuring it out, but still are paying the licensing fees. Okay, let's move on to the next cohort, the two to $4 million producers. Brittany, talk to us about them. Okay, so we'll set the stage here. You know, they are just getting out of that poverty level. They've hit their their goal because you know 10 sounds like a great goal so this is two to four million dollars is what eight to 16 units yeah. so we're calling it the just making it agent right so they've they figured out how to generate business right you've gotten the bare bones of business hopefully you have you know exceeded expectations provided great customer service so now you're getting those referrals and it's getting a little bit easier right like we've created those habits we're having consistency Hopefully we're lead generating every day and we know what we need to do. Um, what this person looks like, like who they are, out yeah. who they are. Right. So, you know, you're not afraid every day being like, what do I do? You know what you need to do. You have the tools in place. Are you doing them? You know, are you doing them consistently? It's not just like a survive. Oh my gosh, where is my next transaction coming from now? I guess you would say, do I have the systems in place? I've generated the business, right? Like that's the first problem is even generating the business. And now 
I'm going to take a wild guess and say the second level is, do I have the proper systems in place to start to scale, to yep. make my life a little bit easier and more manageable? Yep. And in control. Yeah. And I would actually, with the two to four, I would probably say that it actually hasn't started to get easier yet. I think this agent is still truly in the grind and just barely above that survival mode. And what I would want to see and what I would ask to see from anyone that I'm talking to that's not the brand new agent, they're the two to $4 million agent is, okay, you've done this business. How many contacts did you need to make to set the number of appointments that you needed to set to have this number of closings? So I know, John, you love this. We're going to want to see the data. What's your dollar per hour when you're in that two to four bucket? Because I'm going to bet they're still working really, really hard and not leveraging referrals just yet. So the other piece of it is we know that when we talk about like capping in the brokerages, when you're hitting that, hitting 4 million by the end of the year is probably the most frustrating place to be as an agent because you yes. are likely full-time. You've now just paid your full cap and guess what? It is December 15th. So you've got 15 whole days to enjoy that paid off cap and yes. now we're going to start it all over again. Who's ready? And I, you know, again, I was there and not all that long ago. So, and I was at a big box brokerage and I was on a team and I remember being, I capped in six months and I was like, woohoo. And then I'm like, but wait, like, what did I just do? So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's getting easy yet. I think we are in the grind and that lead generation is happening nonstop to just keep yourself in that bucket. How do we get out of that bucket? That's what I think everyone really would want to know. Yeah, these agents are just making it. I think Brittany can't relate to it because she went right past 4 million to 12 million <laughs> her first it. year. So this doesn't relate to her at all because she I didn't, didn't really have that. It. Yeah, right. she so didn't I, have that I, issue. I can't speak to that issue directly. I was also on a team. Yes. The stage is set a little bit differently. Yep. Yeah, but, but here's the thing. If you're an agent out there at a big box or some other company doing $4 million in sales, you have everyone patting you on the back, your broker's mm -hmm. high-fiving you. And why wouldn't they? They just made their cap on you. Their caps are two to $2.3 million. They made the most money out of you that they can make in one year. Congratulations. Here's a hat. Here's this. Here's that, right? Super exciting times that they- You're in the cappers it. club. But you feel <laughs> weird on the inside because you're looking at your bank account and there's not a lot of money in there. So it's like, yeah, it looks good on Facebook. Yeah. And I got this cool hat and I have this trophy, but I look in my bank account and I'm still actually pretty broke because if we break it down um, and, it, and I have a breakdown and I'll share this, like you're, if you're selling $4 million in sales and we're assuming a 3% commission when it's all said and done, you're still broke and I can prove it on paper yep. and I'll, I'll share that information. That means your monthly expenses must be less than $5,000 a month for you to break even on that year. So $4 million producers sounds good, but you're not actually making money. And think of it this way. If you're on a team and the splits are 50, 50, then you need to create $8 million to break even for your life. If your expenses are five, you know, $5,000 a month. So it's a really, really interesting uh, cohort of the agent population. And it represents 15%. So we had 70% at the zero to two, and we have 15% from the two to four. And um, that's pretty much all I have to say there. We'll we'll release some more so, information on that. Britt, do you have something you wanna wrap up on that? So I guess like to wrap it. So what we're saying in two to 4 million is we have a profit problem, right? We're starting yes. to question our structure. Mm -hmm. We're starting to question our PL, and you know, those problems of obtaining business, you know, it's always gonna be there, right? How do you obtain more business? But now it's like, okay, We've got the business coming into an extent. We got to create those habits and still have that consistency. But now that that burden is off this shoulder, now we start to say, okay, well, wait a minute. Am I profitable? Am I not profitable? You start to question the business model in general because you are a little bit lifted of those burdens of generating business in the first place. Yeah. yeah. And that's why you see say? agents okay. from like three to 4 million that are in the business for you know 20 years because- they're not actually making any money. They're just making their brokerage money and paying their bills. And that's pretty much it. And so if you get stuck there, that's actually a problem. You mm -hmm. want to break through to the next level, which is the four to $8 million in sales. It's about 16 to 32 units. And these are what we're designating the mid-level producers. These, this is the mid-tier. And this actually represents 10% of the agent population. So now 
we're above the 80-20 rule, we're in the top 10%. So Michelle, talk to us about this category. Yeah, I can speak to this one because this is where I am right now. So I'm, I'm right hovering around that $8 million mark. And so I, from my transition to two to four to four to eight, I can tell you that it has gotten easier from a lead generation standpoint. I have figured out myself. I've been able to do a lot of reflecting and to be able to see this is what I want to be working on. This is where I want to be focusing my energy because it gets me this result and I enjoy it. I'm more than willing to do double the amount of work on something I enjoy versus doing half the amount of work on something that I hate if they're going to give me the same results. So I figured that out. I figured my business plan out. Um, and there's a certain level of confidence that comes with that because now I have the experience to really truly back what I'm out, what I'm out there doing and what's my differentiator. And so this is definitely, you're in that more comfortable place, but then of course, it's still not that mega agent, right? There's still, there's still reach. Um, and this is where you start to have the conversation and from talking to other people that are in this category, this is where leverage becomes so, so important and leveraging out so that you can do more of what you love that is gonna provide you the biggest bang for your buck and really the most for your time that you're putting into it. Um, to be able to kind of continue to work at the same level, but produce at a much higher level and keep that customer experience at a five-star plus. What's funny about everything you just said is that the reason why agents get to the $8 million level is because they're control freaks. Generally, when I meet them, <laughs> they're absolute control freaks. But what you're telling me is that to get to the next level beyond that, you have to give up control. You have to learn how to hire. You have to figure out what your core values and your mission is and attract people to that so you can continue to go up the ladder. Because even if you're at $8 million in production, is that enough income for you to hit your goals, Michelle? Um, yes and no. So the, the immediate goal, yes. The long-term goal, no. I do have some other things um, that I am able to generate additional income based off of. So that obviously helps as well. Um, I will. So like the mentorship program mm -hmm. and the revenue yep. share and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Working with other agents. And that's something that I'm extremely passionate about. It was something I knew coming from management and going into real estate. I was going to miss working with other people and I get so much joy out of helping others hit their goals. So being able to have that to subsidize is huge. It's also it does help me a lot with the control freak side of things because definitely guilty is charged on that one where I do want to handle it all myself. And um, by working and training other people, it has allowed me to let go a little bit because especially because I know they're learning from me, they're going to come to me if they have questions and they know what my expectations are. And so I, you know, that'll really be able to set me up to take it to the next level and finding those people that you enjoy working with. Yeah. And usually people at this level of production are looking to buy investment properties. Exactly. And, and this level of production is the number one cohort that reaches out to momentum because they're like, I figured it out. I know mm -hmm. I'm going to be more profitable if I make the switch. Your costs are much lower and I want to learn how to invest. And I know people at your company are doing a lot of that. And I want to graduate from real estate agent to investor and then potentially other businesses, which is where things get really exciting because they figured out how to lead gen, how to generate business organically, how to manage their financials. And they're starting to figure out how to scale and leverage out all of the stuff they don't like to do, which we teach you how to do and we've done ourselves. Brittany, yep. do you have any comment on this? Yeah, as you guys were talking, I was, I was kind of feeling like this is that cohort where it's like, okay, I finally feel at peace and I'm like excited, right? I'm not struggling, I'm building enough business, I'm profitable. Now what do I do with my money? All my bills are paid off, right? Because we have a yep. lot of agents and momentum that are like, oh my gosh, I hit this level of production. I've paid off my credit cards. Mm -hmm. Now what? Like you just said, John. So it's like, it's right. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know I'm excited for this next phase. And I was saying that there's always going to be struggles at different level, but the definition of what you're struggling with is like what we're talking about now, but it's almost like this phase is like a, okay, I can breathe, right? Mm -hmm. I'm having fun. This makes sense to be in business now. You know, I'm not stressed out every night with different business issues, potentially, right? We're getting into mm -hmm. that leverage and giving up control. And like, you know, we can call this like, okay, I'm, I'm starting to feel the momentum going on, yep. right? No yep. pun intended. Like this feels good phase. And I feel 
confident. Okay, like something's working. It is I working. Think the best, yep, and I think the best way I can explain being in this bucket versus the other bucket is you don't have that daily battle of, does it make more sense to just go back to my full-time job? Does it not make more sense to just go back to being a salaried employee that has health benefits included? You hit this level and you're like, nope, I see it. I got it. I know I'm making twice as much money as I would have with my salary. So now paying my health benefits taxes, all of that other stuff, it's worth it to now be a business owner. Whereas before it wasn't worth it. Go, go back to your salary job. No, and I'm not telling everyone to do that, but <laughs> that's the struggle. And that's where the, in the sense of it gets easier, you don't lie awake at night, just like, you know, pros and cons between the two options. Yeah. That light is starting to come through the clouds. You're like, oh my God, you exist, right? Yes. Like I've had all these storms. It's been maybe a hurricane for a little bit. And like, no, like there's a light, like it's paid off. It's working. Yep. Yeah. And, and usually this is where agents tend to stall and outgrow their brokerage and they go to their broker owner, like, okay, I've done this. I've got here. What's next. And usually their response will be keep producing, just keep, just keep producing, just keep doing what you, that's what they want you to do. Reality. It should be like, look to become an investor in what you're becoming really knowledgeable about and get to the next level. That should be the conversation and an encouragement to start looking at things as an investor mindset. I mean, I just had an agent the other day that brought a, uh, a list that had a listing. They wanted to sell it fast cash and he was able to do it because he, he was like, I never would have thought this way before if I wasn't at momentum. And that purchase is going to be life changing for him. And the seller got what they wanted because they got the cash that they wanted for the property. So awesome. the question is, is like, are you going to learn from your leadership on how to buy multiple investment properties. So like questions to ask them would be like, what's your net worth? How many properties do you own? What was your highest level of production? What's your financial plan? What are you looking to accomplish into the future? Because you are who you surround yourself with. And a lot of these agents wildly outgrow their entire brokerage and stay there because of the relationships. But the reality is they've outgrown that community and there's nothing that community can, can, can do for them to continue. And the best thing that they can do is go find an environment where they're now the dumbest person in the room and they have room to grow again. Yep. I just realized one thing as well that we see agents do in this cohort. This is probably the first time you've been making some money. What are you spending it on? <laughs> <laughs> New car. New car, no. right? Bigger no. house, pool in the so backyard. I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't, right? We should all enjoy certain things here and there. I'm throwing it out as an, as an observation of this is like that first big breath where it's like, oh my gosh, this is great. I actually have money for the first time. And instead of planning ahead and having someone say, well, hold on here. Like, what is the plan for it in the future? How can you grow mm. that and 10X that money? It's now being blown on, you know what? I'm going to go get a new car or I'm going to, you know, buy more clothes. I don't know, whatever you decide feels, <laughs> feels good in the moment, but it's not long lasting. Yeah. It's because it's the first time they've ever had money in their life generally, and they don't know what to do with it. They've never, you know, school doesn't teach it. I went to finance class. I still suck, you know? <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> yeah, you, know, you can read as many books as you want, but until you actually have the money in hand and have decisions to make with it. And really when you start having this type of cash, you need to figure out what you want your future to look like and then make the investments based on what you want that to look like and break it down. And if your leadership doesn't know how to have that conversation with you, you could be making a ton of mistakes after years of hard work. Um, and we hate seeing that happen. And, and unfortunately we do see it happen. And all we can do is share with people, here's the financial wealth building blueprint that you can follow if you want to use it and at least create awareness around it. And at the end of the day, it's the agent's choice to live their life however they want. There's no judgment. It's just, you might have to work a lot longer than you should if you yeah. make those decisions and just be aware of the consequences of making bad money decisions. And right now when the market is the way that the market is, it's a really scary time to be making bad money decisions. Yes, this is a conversation where you need to figure out whether or not you're going to go really, really hard into real estate or stocks, right? You know, it's there's lowest interest rates in history. This is a whole nother podcast conversation yep. <laughs> right here. But yeah, so we'll skip that. But if you want to talk about wealth building strategies for the long term or for your goals, I'm happy to hop on a call with you. So here's the next sub segment is the $8 million to $20 million producers. This is really a mega agent. A mega agent used to be a $6 million producer, by the way. 
But because the technology advances and, you know, all the, the amount of work that we do per transaction, the real mega agent today is closer to 12 million. Um, at Momentum, we have our cap at 8 million, which this cohort represents the top 5% of the agent population. So talk to us wow. about this, Britt, because you were this, you were this agent in your first year. Yeah. So, I mean, I was a spring chicken when I did this, so, like as in it was my first year when I hit this level. So, so hold up. Hold it's up. almost like this. Okay. How many homes did you sell in your first year? Is 2018. There's a debate of whether it was 65 or 66. Okay. So <laughs> but you, you were, is 2018 and you were pregnant. Yes. It was your first year. Yes. And it was Yes. We weren't even in the, our marketplace for three months of the year. We were traveling as well. Okay. So that, okay. So then how did we get there? Right. Because right. Well, it's based on a foundation of systems and processes and leverage and all the stuff that we figured out in the well, prior phase. All right. So I don't want to talk about the end of the year. I want to talk about, okay, what happened in that year as the big ahas which is the struggles that this cohort is dealing with because we wouldn't have had changes without the struggle. So, and, co and coaching to make us realize what our struggle really was. So this is when, if you don't have the right systems in place and potentially the right leverage, this is where you start to feel fatigued. And at the top of this cohort where burnout starts to happen. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Now, John, you and I are unique in that, like, I'm going to say this because we didn't, we went into this business having come out of investment banking and working in my previous accounting role where we were no stranger to 10 to 12 hour days. So someone who's in a typical W2 job that comes into this, and now they're starting to come into this cohort, um, it, it, that fatigue is setting in, you know, mm -hmm. I'm starting to lose joy. Mm. I'm starting to uh, I don't, I don't know where my life vest is and I don't know what that life vest looks like. And there you have that with the control issue of, but I'm the only one that can do this. Mm -hmm. And so you're not willing to leverage out until it becomes so painful that mm -hmm. you have no other choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a lot of comments on that, but Michelle, I'll let you take it. I'm sure you do. <laughs> well, this is when I met you guys, right? So <laughs> um, I kind of, I, I met you at towards the end of that because Britt was no longer pregnant, but um, so it may, I think, what was that? Maybe early in 2019 then, I guess. But um, I got to see that, first of all, the amount of work that it took and the amount of systems that you had to have in place and even with all of that, the burnout does occur. It just becomes too much. Yes, you were getting the referrals. I mean, John, I would sit with you and there'd be times like your phone wouldn't stop. And every time your yeah. phone went off, it was somebody inquiring about real estate. It was just unbelievable. And that comes from that being you had been in the business for a couple of years. So now things were starting to come to you because of great systems and models. Um, but it was definitely very interesting for me to be in my first weeks of real estate, sitting with you guys that were at this point and this level. And it's like, man, I want that. But like, do I want that? <laughs> so I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is an absolute struggle because you are having to do the production and build the systems at the same time. So it requires you to, if you want to get out of that struggle and get to the next, next level, you got to wake up early and stay up late working on your systems after the day is done or wake up early and stay up late finding the talent so instead of lead generating for buyers and sellers, you're now lead generating for talent who can help you achieve the tasks that you need to get done during the day while representing the same exact standards or higher than what you're already giving your customers because that's what they expect of you. Um, and my realization in this cohort, um, I went to 12 million my first year, 20 million my second year, and then Brittany came in and we did 36 million in our third year. Um, this cohort was really where you just have to, dig in and build systems and document absolutely everything. I did this myself. I could have had somebody else do all that for me. And then I hand that documentation off to somebody else that I'm taking a bet on. 
And if you don't know how to hire somebody or how to hold them accountable, then your chances of failure are really high. So I see a lot of people, they go through this phase and they say, I hired somebody, it didn't work, I'm giving up. I hired somebody, I'm just gonna go be the $12 million agent, I'm just gonna do 12 million. And they don't break through and they get stuck and they make great money and there's nothing wrong with that. There's really not, if, if that's where you wanna hang out and that's where you're comfortable with. But for some agents, they push through and they build system and models that allow them to make money without doing every little task in the transaction, which by the way, is crazy. In my mind, mm -hmm. it's, it's incredibly valuable in the beginning because you need to learn every aspect of the business, right? You got to mop the floor, <laughs> you know, turn yeah. off the lights, all that kind of stuff, clean the toilets, whatever. But at this point, you're making enough money where you could be creating jobs in the community and giving opportunities to other people that could well deserve them. And you could have a larger impact than just your own pocketbook. So for me, I felt like it was being selfish if I did not um, continue building and bringing other people in. I mean, Michelle, you wouldn't, you know, you would, <laughs> who knows what would have happened. We would never would have met you. We never would have met Stephanie right. and some of the other team members that are with us today and look at, look at how bigger our lives are because you guys are in it. And it's an opportunity for everybody else to have an income as well. So I think this, for me, that's what it was about is like having an impact and going to the next level, but it is, it is a lot of work. And, um, and we have a lot of systems and tools now where you would be able to use those exact system and tools to break through this, not alone with somebody mm -hmm. who's actually done it. And I think that's, what's missing with a lot of the other brokers and team leaders is they're not doing it. They're just recruiting. They have to get their five agents in the door within that month or else they get fired. They're not focused on how do I develop my people to get to the next level of producing real estate sales without being in the day to day for 90% plus of the day? Because that's what yep. most agents experience. This is, this is that pivot point where you have to step outside of yourself or your control and no longer, if you can, if you can bring on the right talent um, and spend time to pour into that talent, now one plus one does not equal two anymore. One plus one can equal three, four, five because of the synergies of having someone else. And so I, this is, and if you've never hired a team member, an admin, a transaction coordinator, a showing agent, you don't realize the power that can happen. And it's no one's fault if you've never had a, someone else with you, you just think I can handle it all, I can handle it all. And the beauty that happens when you bring someone else into your organization that has their own talents, that you now are operating, and this is where we started to realize we're operating in our strengths, and now we're 10xing, and it feels like we're still at the same work level, but the power that happens with the same effort. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Another thing that I noticed here that I really wanted was I wanted to start owning the franchise company that I was working for. I was bringing in the people, I was teaching the classes, everybody was coming for me advice, you know, I was doing all of these things, but I couldn't get ownership of the company. It was very political. I couldn't say or teach the things that actually worked that I was doing, which was kind of weird because wouldn't you want your people to be successful? <laughs> I mean, just because you don't like the way I say things, you know, doesn't mean it's not going to help people. So, you know, everybody has their different strengths in the way that they communicate, but you also don't get access to title mortgage and insurance, which when agents give away more money through those referrals than they do in the commission dollars that they make. So there's limited upside opportunity at most of these companies. And yeah, there's some public companies, there's three or four of them, but they're multiple on the value of their shares are over hundred X in some case, 200 X. And as we know, we're at the peak of, we're close to the peak of the market probably here. And so you would be getting shares that who knows what they'll be worth in three years, or what if somebody comes along with the same exact business model over the next three years and, and builds it and it, and it crumbles because it can fall very quickly. If it goes up fast, it can come down fast. That's the truth. The lot of the most sustainable companies are ones that grow at a normal growth rate, 10 to 20% per year for 20 years over and over again, because they have really, really strong foundations um, and when you look at these companies that are just attracting people by giving out shares, their, their average rotation out is, is like 30%, um, which is actually pretty high. We we've had like maybe one or two people leave the organization and it wasn't necessarily because of anything that had to do with us, um, mm -hmm. or, or, or the business plan, it had to do with other stuff. So, 
you know, when you're looking at a company, one question to look for is like, what's the rotation of people leaving the organization? That'd be a really good question when you're interviewing around. Um, but this cohort, they're looking for more. They're looking for how do I, how do I invest my money? How do I leverage out of all the things I don't want to do? How do I get additional opportunities or buy into my brokerage or ancillary opportunities? And right now that really doesn't exist. It didn't exist at the companies that I was working for. So there's no next level. And when you have no next level and you have nothing to look forward to, things get scary, especially for high mm -hmm. achievers, because this cohort's a high achiever. So when they can't see the future, they start looking elsewhere. And um, you want to align yourself with a company that will continue to show you the path to grow your business the way that you want to do or do other things that you want to do with your life. And that might not include just selling real estate for the rest of your life. In a lot of cases, yep. it shouldn't. I always say the purpose of getting into real estate is to get out of real estate. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if, you're in, if you're at our company momentum longer than 10 to 15 years, then we failed our job. You should have the option to retire at that point. Yep. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I mean, we hit it. We hit the nail on the head. I'm, I, there's, there's complexity. Yeah. A lot of different then, problems. Yeah. And the same problems occur in the top 1% of agents, which is 20 million plus. And there's one last cohort I want to talk to both of you about today, which is the high producing team agents and all of the problems that come across there, because this is where a lot of momentum agents come from, is from a team where they were a top producer and they realize very quickly that they can't make money within that financial model. And they want to figure out how to do it on their own. And they come to momentum and they figure it out. And so far, it's 100% success rate. Michelle, you're the yeah. person to talk to about this because this was you. And this was actually why we started Momentum in the first place <laughs> is because of you coming to us. And what did you tell us? <laughs> I was like, how am I, how do I have some of the most closings of anyone in the office that we were at currently yet? I'm literally making no money. Like I'm breaking even here. This makes absolutely no sense. What's going on, John? You're the numbers guy. Like what, what's happening? And, um, so yeah, I can definitely speak to this. And I think that there is, there's a couple of things that are happening. So first of all, you have those agents that are doing really, really well on a team because they're being, the, they're being fed leads and they know how to service them. They can do that all day long, but the splits just aren't there for them to make any money. They are also not learning how to lead generate on their own mm -hmm. whatsoever to be able to bring in that self-generated business. And let's just say they get lucky with that self-generated business. What does that split look like? Because if that's still on a 50-50 and or 55-45, you know, that extra 5% for the amount of work that it's going to take from someone who is a lead servicer to now go out and hunt leads, they're just not being set up for success to ever be able to graduate from that platform. And there may be those people where that platform is really just where they want to be and they're super happy there and it's working for them. And that's awesome. That's not normally the case. Most people who come to us and they want to join a team, it's because they want to start with a ton of momentum. And I was able to do that with starting with the Brooks group. And what was beautiful about it is when we made the transition to it being momentum, and I was a single agent at that point, I had already built my business to where more than 50% of my business was coming from self-generated leads. And it was a no brainer. I was able to do half the work and make the same, if not more money. But I don't think most people are, are putting the time and effort into lead generating because they're so busy answering the phone and making sure they don't miss a lead. They literally don't even have time to think about it. I agree. And I think the, the biggest thing is that the team leaders or the owners of the team own everything. They own the marketing, they own the brand, they own the database, they own the contact information, right? So if you're a, an agent on a team and you're building business and you're kind of making a couple grand here, a couple grand there off of each sale, not really enough to, to make a dent in what you're looking to do, you're then stuck because you can't leave because if you do, you leave your entire database that you just mm -hmm. generated and that's the largest thing is that you're completely owned by them and you own nothing. And you're on a schedule generally where it looks like a W-2, where it looks like a W. It's not really entrepreneurial at that point. You're actually taking a step back because you're looking like a W-2, just you have no benefits. And you have to pay your own health insurance. Yeah. Um, and I just know from experience and from the conversations in the industry that 90% of people on a team end up leaving within a two-year period. 
and they leave and they have to start from scratch. And they usually have a lot of bad, lazy habits because they didn't have to do everything themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have to overcome that. And it's almost as if it would have been better for them to just start as an agent and make it happen the first way around, um, which is scary because they don't have the skill set. And that's why they join the team. They say, I want to join a team. I'm going to get the reps in. I'm going to learn the business from the inside out. And then they leave and they're like, oh, not being on a team is a different, it's a whole different business because now you're in the lead gen business. You're not in the servicing business. Those are different businesses. And they, they fizzle out or they jump from team to team to team to team to try to find a different solution. But they're just jumping from like one big box brokerage to another. It's the same thing. Like you're going to get more of the same, more of the same in most circumstances. So um, I feel, I feel bad for these agents, honestly, um, because we, we had a team that did the same thing. And I always looked at it from my perspective of how much money am I making? And when Michelle brought it to my attention, we turned it around and said, what does the financial model need to look like for the team member? How do I help my team members build wealth? And I think that's the really big differentiator um, is we built a financial model that allows team members to keep more of what they have and also have half caps for them. So they have a greater opportunity to get to the next level. Britt, you have some comments on this? Yeah, I, I mean, listen, we've, we've been on both sides of this and mm-hmm. I, I hate, I, I don't want to say I hate it. I get a little bit tipsy turvy over the, you know, I feel bad for the people on a team. I, mm-hmm. I don't because there's a decision that's made. And I guess maybe I want to say it as, I challenge people to be aware of their, their structure. Not that you shouldn't join a team or you should, but be aware of why you're doing it. Is there an end game? What is the structure compared to something else? Because when you leave a team, you are in a sense starting out as a new agent again. You're having to build those, those foundations and skills that may not have been there because from a team, you were able to jumpstart. So there are benefits and disadvantages to being on a team and it works for the right person. So John, you're a high driver, right? You're, you're a visionary, a high driver where you wouldn't necessarily, and you've proven it. You didn't have a team. You did it from the ground running where I was able and Michelle was able to tap into a team to then skyrocket and say, okay, but what is the end game? Am I on the team forever? I'm aware that I'm not building my skills and my foundations. What is this? What does happen if I leave the team? And so I guess what I'm saying is don't go into a team being completely unaware with no plan. Um, well, that's the problem is that they go in with these expectations that they're going to be making 150, 200, 300,000 to have this great life. They're, they're being sold this dream that this is what's going to happen in reality. The number of sales that you have to produce to be able to earn that income is not it's, it's not sustainable. You might be able to do it a year or two, but it is not sustainable. And when you leave, you own nothing. So mm-hmm. like you said, Britt, it's like an awareness factor. But the, mo- the thing is like, most people don't read their contract. I mean, I know we're real estate agents, but most real estate right. agents are not reading their contracts. <laughs> They're being sold a dream. They're saying, look at, look at my house. My house is bigger than yours. Mine's better. It's a better color. The ceilings are higher, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they get sold this big dream and this vision that very, very, very rarely ever is achieved. And I think it's honestly being dishonest in some cases versus just being, you know, laying it out on the table, being like, this is what you need to do to make this amount. This is what you need to do to make this amount and laying it out. I do not see that happening on any teams in our marketplace where they're really realistic about what can be achieved. And so that's why there's rotation out because there's a misalignment between the expectations and what is actually happening in reality. And it's not a win-win situation in many circumstances. Mm -hmm. Most teams don't have a a stepping ladder where it's like you get this part of production. That's when you become a trainer and a coach for the other people. You make money off them. You become a trainer and coach for long enough to make them productive. That's when you get an equity stake. They don't have that ladder. It's very one-dimensional where I just need somebody to help me do showings and answer the phone that shouldn't be a team member. That should be an independent contractor that you pay for every single activity. And so I think there's a disconnect on the expectations that are set and what actually occurs. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the debate is here, you know, 
being aware of what is the intent of the team leader. What is the, what are my intentions coming in as a team? Like, what is the game plan? What is the intent? And am I aware of everything going on so that I can pay attention on that journey? Um, Cause but if you're going blind, no, I know they don't, but I'm, I guess that's I'm why I feel bad for world. them. That's why you feel bad for them. Perfect. Okay. Cause there are people that are made for teams and they thrive in teams. Mm-hmm. And if they weren't yeah. on a team, it would not look so I guess I want to like just debate this and say I do feel bad for the people that it's like they're being taken advantage of and their team leader has not seen a vision for them to potentially leave the team right yeah. so there's it's a whole thing they they end up going and doing their first two sales and they get like $700 their first one and $1,200 their second one and they're like ah this I don't I wish I had read my contract and run the numbers and that's the problem is these team leaders are not running the numbers for them and showing them what the potential is and what they'll have to do um, and look, that's, that's a business model and there's, you know, it's people can do whatever they want. I just think that it sucks for the team members that join and are in that circumstance. Are there some teams that are absolutely worth it that are run by valid leaders that can actually help people get to the next level? Absolutely. But that's yeah. the exception and not the case. Like that's not the norm for our particular market and what we've observed. And that's all I can speak to. Yep. And I have so much gratitude for starting on a team. And the biggest problem with the way that our setup was, was the 36% that was going to the broker off of the top. Had it been the team split at momentum and I would have gotten the same value that I got from the team, it would have been a no brainer. It would have looked so different, but taking 36% off of the top of my first 10 transactions as a brand new agent, Mm. that hurt that hurt. And if it would have been, and I remember having an exit interview with um, the leader at that brokerage and telling them just that it's too much all at once in the beginning, I would have rather not capped for the entire year, but still paid them the same amount and had it spread out over the year versus the first six months. Mm, That's a really good point. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why we structured momentum the way that it is, where it's super affordable for team members to join and not get charged an arm and a leg and have the overlay of all the training, coaching and resources of the overall company. Um, And there are team members looking for it. And so the cool thing about the organization is that if you're a new agent in that zero to eight bucket and you wanna get to the next level, you have the mentorship program. And then we also have a lot of teams who are seeking help. and that is the only way that you can get into the organization. And, and if you want to talk to somebody, talk to Michelle, give her a call, <laughs> or just go on the website and check out real estate agents that are there and just give them a call and, and ask them what it's like being at the company. We're very open-minded, but any last nuggets that you want to leave Michelle and Brittany with our audience here today? I think the biggest thing I'd say is as you're listening to this, I'm sure you were waiting to hear about the segment that you fall into. And if this is something that you truly love and you want to build a business out of it, don't be discouraged. Let's look at this conversation as a stepping stone to get you to where you want to be in your life and in your business and for the customers and the community that you surround. So um, like John said, please reach out. I'd love to have those conversations. Awesome. Brittany. Reflecting back on all of this, I, I think for me, it's, it's, are you in the right room? Are you having the right conversations? And are, and with that comes awareness of where you are at and paying attention versus just willy nilly going about your day. So do you have the right tribe of people that are going to put it in a certain perspective and then say, okay, you know, let's challenge you. Let's plan this out. So being in the right room, being with the right tribe and the people that are going to help you grow are you paying attention to that? I love it. And that's what I was going to say is get around people who actually care where you're not just another number in this machine or this franchise machine or this wall street machine, where you're getting around people that will create a community with you and want to do life together and do business. And we all feed off of each other to get to the next level. The energy is infectious at this company. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. And we'll see what happens, but no pun intended. It's the momentum is, is catching <laughs> fire. And now we're in nine locations based off referral. We do no marketing and no prospecting for agents to join the company. And that's no mistake. It's because the agents are coming here. They're, they realize what this ladder is that we just outlined for them. And they know what the common problems are. So now they know what to expect. And they, can, and they can get over them so much easier than being surprises 
or unaware of them. So we're bringing to forward something that most agents are completely unaware of having this conversation and putting in the forefront. And we're not afraid to talk about it because we know if we talk about it, we're going to be able to help you get to the next level. So thank you. This wraps up our episode two of Brooks on Business. Michelle, Brittany, it's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Bye.